0: Well, good morning again. We are excited that you're here this morning. We're excited uh, just about what God is doing. Um, I met with uh, Steve this week, and he made a, a really good comment as we were talking. He said, you know, Common Ground is, is moving into Chapter 2. Um, and I thought that was a really good way to put it, that, that we had Chapter 1, Chapter 1 where we started in a yard. Uh, chapter one, where we then bought a tent and we were in the tent. Uh, Then we moved up here. Chapter one of trying to get groups formed and going and and leaders ready to disciple, knowing that we don't want to be, you know, the biggest church in town. We want to see the city church. And so we need people who can dig into and serve others. So we have to raise them up, knowing it was going to be a slow process. And now we're transitioning into chapter two. Chapter two, where we're running out of space. Uh, Chapter two, where we got to figure out what to do, where we're not going to be as comfortable, maybe even in chapter two as we were in chapter one. Um, But it's exciting because God is moving. Uh, We've heard over and over just from people saying, I experienced God. I experienced God here and and in groups. And even right now, what that outpost group is going through with Annika, God is at work there. And there's good things happening through that. And so... It's helpful to think, okay, we have a next chapter coming and it's not gonna be easy. It's not always gonna be easy. But what it's gonna take is, is us giving ourselves to what God wants to do through us. Here at Common Ground, our mission statement is to expand the kingdom of God and our lives and the world around us. And as we give ourselves to God and he changes us to be more like Jesus, that's what we mean by expanding his kingdom in us. He has more and more control over us. Then he can use us. He lives in and through us to make a difference in the city and in other people's lives. And so that's why we're going through this series. We have two weeks left in the series we're in now about life change. You know, life change, doesn't or people don't change, do they? And you've probably heard that, that people don't actually change. But the truth is, Scripture teaches life change isn't just possible, but it's expected for the believer, for the person that gives their life to Jesus. Things are going to happen. Change is going to happen. And how can we see that happen in our lives? because if we want to be part of what God is doing, if we want chapter two for common ground to really bring glory to God, it means each of us is going to give ourselves to be changed by him and see change and then move on to give that to others, to help, to serve others. So we're in Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians chapter three this morning as we look at is life change possible and we're moving now into what's going to be very, very practical. Let me pray. Father in heaven, All glory belongs to you. You are the creator and the sustainer of all. You created by your word, through your word. Your word was made flesh, and his name was Jesus. And through Jesus, you brought reconciliation to all who would by faith accept Jesus as Lord. Through Jesus' death on the cross, you bought our forgiveness. You redeemed us. We didn't deserve it. We know that, but we're so grateful. We love you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to be present here with us this morning. Do what you want to do in our hearts. If we have hearts of stone, I pray that you would take those hearts of stone and touch us and make them hearts of of clay, of flesh, clay that you can mold into your image and use us for your glory. We know that's where blessing resides when we are going your way. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. See, so have you ever known one of those people that's just a natural athlete? Maybe you're one of those people. I hate those people. <laughs> when I was in college, I, uh, a bunch of friends started a basketball team and they wouldn't let me play on it. And so I started my own basketball team with all the people that weren't allowed to play and we fouled out every game. But, but for me, it was, you know, I'd go out there and play and, well, at least he has hustle. Maybe you've, you've heard that phrase. He's not very good, but he's got hustle. Well, those, those natural athletes, those people that just have it, those people also need to practice. You know, just because someone has everything they need you know, athletically doesn't mean they're just going to be successful in any sport. They have to go practice. I remember watching some of those kids in high school, both sides. I remember the ones that were just gifted naturally. They could just go do, but maybe were lazy and they didn't give themselves to it, and so they didn't excel the way some others who were gifted And then practice, you know, those basketball players, they were gifted, but then they'd go out and shoot and shoot and shoot. Those were the ones that would excel, that would move forward, you know, in their sport. In many ways, it's the same with us in our spiritual life. We, as Christians, and by a Christian, we we mean Romans 10, 9. You confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. You believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. If you've done that, you believe that about Jesus, now you are a Christian Christian born again, saved, made new. You're given the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. You have everything needed. You're like that natural athlete that can jump real high and run real fast and just, just get it. You have all everything you need. But just like the athlete needs to practice, they need to do something. There's some things that we need to do in order to be changed, to continue to change. There's some things that we need to participate in in this walk to be who God wants us to be. Colossians 2 is gonna get very specific over the next two weeks. But it starts in Colossians 2.6. Look back, we, we we studied this a couple months ago. But in Colossians 2.6, he says, Therefore, as you have received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you received Christ, now walk in him. And that's what we're looking at. How do we walk in him? Last week we looked at Colossians 3, 1 through 4. And the big thing that we looked at was our identity. That you can now walk, right, because of what God has made you to be. Who he has made you in him. That in him you are saved, you are raised. Colossians 3, 1, look there. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ. So that's part of who you are. Raised from the dead. Before you're a believer, you're dead in Christ. When you become a believer, you're raised from the dead. All of, all of sin's power over you is broken. You're raised. So then he says, keep seeking the things that are above. But who we are in Christ, new creations, saints, loved. We'll see more of this next week. Great stuff. Because of who we are, now we can walk rightly. When I was in junior high, uh, I uh, had some friends kind of going the wrong way. Maybe you've been there. Uh, We were getting into skating and they had cool skateboards and I had this really lame one, but I couldn't afford a good one. But, but part of, at least back then, part of skating was this rebellious attitude. And so I dabbled with that rebellion a little bit. Um, and I remember one day I was at youth group and we had our church building here and we had our youth, youth house over here. And we were in the youth house and we were moving over to the church building for it was like 50 yards. But we went out and my youth pastor said, hey Derek, why don't you ride with me? I'm like, it's just like right there. Why would I get in the car? So I get in the car with him and he starts telling me the things he's known that I've been doing. I'm like, how does he know these things? <laughs> But the gist of the conversation was, that's not who you are. That was kind of the gist. Here's what you've been doing. And he wasn't telling me, stop doing those things. He was telling me, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. You're you're a son of God. I know your family, you love Jesus. So why would you act like that? That's not who you are. And I thought that was a really, really good way to do it. A really good way of saying it. That's not who you are. So as Christians, can we go this way? Can we choose sin? We can, because we still live in these bodies why would we? It's not who we are. And it's not where joy and blessing is found for us. And it's not where his kingdom is going to expand and be useful for him. So today we're going to look very specific. Maybe, maybe you like me have experienced that. And by the way, that time in junior high wasn't my last time uh, of acting not like I was. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there now. Now, maybe you have things in your life that are preventing you from, from flourishing. And by flourishing, we mean the joy, the peace, the love that God has planned for you in your life. Look with me, please, at Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is no, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all, and in all. Here's what we need to get first. If you're a note taker, this is in your notes. If if uh, you like the app, that you can follow along on, on the app and see the notes. But life change begins, when a person is converted made new in Jesus, then ambitiously seeks Jesus and thinks Jesus. This is what we covered last week in in verses one through four, that now that we've been converted, if you've given your life to Christ, by the way, if you haven't been converted, if you're like, you know, I'm going to try the church thing, the Jesus thing, you'll learn some good things. We'll give you some good tools, but you won't have the power to really have life change. You won't have the power to really experience what God has for you. You first need to give your life over to Christ. Then, It says you've given a new compass. Now you want to go his way. Now you think about Jesus. You seek the things of Jesus. Jesus had said it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. You need food, you need clothes, you need a house, you need those things. But seek first Jesus and he'll give you those things that you need. So we seek him, we think him. We're changed. Our identity is different. Uh, Maybe you've heard the phrase that we're just sinners saved by grace. Well, we are. (laughs) We are sinners saved by grace, but we're not just sinners saved by grace. We are more. We are adopted. You are given the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. You know, I I hear this from Christians. Well, I'm only human, so I'm going to do all these sinful things. You don't get it. No, no, you're not only human. You are human, so you can, but you don't have to anymore. You now have the power to conquer those things. So maybe you have been a Christian a long time and you're still struggling with the same things. Anger, lust, whatever it is, we have the power to get through it, but it starts with seeking him. And now we're going to get practical, kind of like the athlete. Okay, how am I going to be a a good athlete at whatever this, shoot hoops, run lines, whatever. Now we're going to see, what do we do? What do we do? And he starts in verse five. He says, put to death, put to death. Therefore, whatever is earthly in you. What's, what's the issue? The word isn't used right there, but he's, he's referring to one thing. What is it that prevents us from coming to God to begin with? What is it that separates us from God? What is it that's gonna lead some people to hell? And what is it that after we're Christians still separates us in fellowship at times? What's the word? Exactly. That's what he's talking about. Sin is the issue. If you're struggling in life, sin is the issue. Sin is what separated us from God. Sin is what gets to us now. And again, as Christians, it's not like, oh, I'm saved. No, I'm not. I You're secure in Christ, but sin in you will, will prevent you from flourishing. It will break the fellowship you have with Jesus Christ. And so sin is the issue. And what does he say about sin? He says, put it to death. The King James Version says, mortify. Other versions say, consider yourself dead which is okay because consider, it means think about it. But, but really, as you look it up in, in the Greek, the word is nekros. It sounds like necromancer. It's, it's literally kill. Kill what's left of sin and you put it to death. One of the uh, dictionaries said it this way. and I thought it was great. It says, deprive of life or energizing power. Whatever is energizing sin... Deprive sin of that. So the picture I had is is of a, a kid with a rabid dog, and Dad says you got to go shoot. You know this is back in back in the olden days, farms and stuff. Um, you got to go shoot that dog. That dog's got rabies. Well, instead of going and shooting the dog, he, he takes the dog down into the basement, and he goes down and he feeds the dog, and and so the dog is hidden away, but but he's still kind of taking care. Of and someday that dog's gonna bite his hand off or get out and kill somebody. Rather, sin we can do the same with sin in our lives. Okay, I believe in Jesus, but you know what? I've got this this one here. I'm just gonna gonna take care of this one. I'm just gonna feed it just a little bit, not a lot, but I'm just gonna, you know, give it a little like a little baby bird. I'm just gonna, a little seed, a little seed. And you're keeping that sin alive rather than depriving it of, of energizing power. Like a plant that's growing, stop watering it, it'll die. Like sin in your life. Stop watering it and let it die. Let it die. And he's gonna give us two specific broad categories of sin two categories of sin. The first one is sexual sin. Everything listed pretty much in this first list is sexual in nature. Theirs, oddly enough, was a very sex-saturated society. I'm glad ours isn't like that. (laughs) In many ways, theirs was very similar to what we have going on right now. You know, they didn't have the internet. They didn't have those things. I think we live in a very difficult time, but theirs was sex saturated. And he says, put to death whatever is earthly in you, meaning all the sin that remains, put it to death, specifically sexual immorality. Listen to the Greek word for that one, pornea. What's that sound like? Pornea, sexual immorality. It's also translated sometimes fornication. It's any form of sexual impurity, any form. It's pretty broad. God designed sex and he made it great. And he he designed it on purpose between a man and a woman in marriage anything else is fornication. Anything else is fornication. He says, put that to death, have nothing to do with it. Deprive it of energizing power. You know, and this more and more, this is affecting women as it has affected us men forever. uh, but just because of the society that we're in, how do you deprive that of its energizing power? Their movies, you need to not watch. Are there commercials you need to not watch? I remember when I was in high school, somebody, an older man speaking about this, and he said, you know, whenever the newspaper comes, my wife removes the underwear section before I get the newspaper. Things are totally different now. (laughs) (laughs) But, But the same concept. How do you not energize? Are there certain times of day you shouldn't be online? Are there certain locations you shouldn't be online? Are there certain places you shouldn't go? Are there certain people you shouldn't talk to? How do you deprive those things of power? Then he goes on and he says impurity, sexual immorality, then impurity. Impurity means exactly what it sounds like. Impurity, uncleanness in thought, word, or act. Similar to to fornication there, but a little bit broader. It includes your thinking. Remember what Jesus said. He said, if a man even looks at a woman with lust, he's committed adultery with her in his heart. So, Jesus took what was in the law to begin with and made it even harder, made it actually impossible. And here, Paul's saying the same thing think pure. It's not just your actions, it's how you think. So, think pure everywhere. Then he goes on to passion. Put aside passion. Passion is also translated lust. And that can be for for sex or for other things, it can be for food. But what is it? It's an uncontrolled desire. Desire is not a bad thing. God created desi- He created good things, but this is an uncontrolled desire. This is a lack of self-control. And then he, he says, evil desire, similar to passion, but a little bit more general. He's using all these words that overlap. and it's like, where's the line between this word? And- There's not one. Basically, anything that has to do with sexual sin, be done with it. It's not who you are anymore. Have nothing to do with sexual, sexual sin either in action. Or thought. Remove anything in your life that feeds these temptations. It's not who you are. And these sins will not lead to human flourishing. We need to make a note here before we go too deep into this. We gotta be careful that we're not creating religion. Meaning, we come in here, we believe in Jesus, now we're gonna make a bunch of rules for ourselves and go in our own strength and pull ourselves by our our own moral bootstraps and work really hard. We have to do this, but it's never apart from intimacy with Jesus. Meaning, first we abide. I am the vine, you are the branches, Jesus said. Abide in me and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we seek intimacy with Jesus. Then, at the same time, we take action against our sin. Maybe you've heard it different ways of, you know what? The Holy Spirit will just do that in you. You know, don't make rules for yourself and all this stuff. Uh, just, Just trust God with it. No, (laughs) seek intimacy with Jesus and do something about your sin. In chapter two, verse six, this is, he set the stage for what he's talking about now. He says, therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, so walk in him. And then he goes on, rooted and built up in him. And over and over he says, in him. So now that we're looking at practical, that's never separated from in Jesus. Maybe you experience this in your life. You wake up in the morning, you're like, today, I'm not going to sin. Maybe it's i sp- I'm not going to do that. And then you go off and you do that. Rather than wake up and go, Jesus, I don't want to do that. And I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to connect with you. And then I'm going to put things in place. So I don't do that. Certain boundaries. That's what I put in my notes here, boundaries, uh, are actually pretty helpful things. You know, for Callie and I, there's, there's boundaries we put in our, our marriage. There's boundaries we put before we were married when we were dating, which were good boundaries. Um, but a lot of us, we like boundaries. We get up to them and try and step over them. And, and, but, but boundaries, when you're walking in Christ, are good things. Uh, you know, for me, I'll never eat with a woman alone. I'll never ride in a car alone with a woman. Just certain things like that. If I have a friendship with a woman, my wife has to have a better friendship with that woman. Just certain boundaries that we place to protect us from those things. Boundaries are good if they're connected with intimacy with Jesus. And Paul is very literally saying, stop it here. Stop it. And why why does he nail sexual sin? All these are sexual. Why doesn't he just have a huge long list? There's something about sexual sin that is dangerous. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says it this way. He says, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. That means all Christians, you're one spirit with God. And he says, flee immorality, run away from it. Every other sin that a man commits or a woman is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own for you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. There's something unique about that sin and we need to violently do something about it. Then he goes on. Uh, Impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Greed is another word that's used there. This can be sexual, but it can also be other things. Greed, that word means a strong desire for something and you're willing to step on people to get it. You will use people for your gain. That's what greed is. And these things are idolatry. Why is idolatry a big deal? Because idolatry takes from God what's his and places it somewhere else. Remember the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament? What were the first two? The first two commandments. Have no other gods before me and don't make idols. God's biggest thing was I want to be first in your heart. So when we pursue some of these other sins, we put those things before God, which is idolatry, which is the worst of worst sins here, according to God, according to the law in the Old Testament. And because of these things, look at verse six, the wrath of God is coming. Judgment is coming. Read the book of Revelation. It's called the lake of fire. The lake of fire is prepared for Satan and his demons, but it's going to be used for non-believers. It's going to be used for the disobedient. It's because of these things, these sexual sins, that the wrath of God is coming and all other sins. By the way, there was there was a period in history where sins like this ran rampant. And God judged. He used a flood. He only saved one family. He used a flood. He said, I'll never do that again. So he gave us the rainbow. I'm never going to do that again by water. Next time it's going to be by fire. This is a big deal because judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And it's because of sin that judgment is coming. But there's another thing that we need to to recognize. There's a danger as Christians for us to go, oh, we are fearing the judgment. Guess what? We don't have to fear the judgment. If you're in Christ, you don't have to fear the judgment because you are not, as this verse says, sons of disobedience. You are not a son or daughter of disobedience. You are son or daughter of the king. You are holy, just, in Christ. Can you still do these sins? Yes. Will you be judged for them? No. Is that an excuse to do them? Heck no, Paul says in Romans. (laughs) May it never be, by no means. You can, but it's not who you are anymore. So because of these sins, judgment is coming. If you're a believer, guess what? You avoid that judgment, which is exciting that we don't have to be judged. But it's not about our actions. So we're not creating a list here of things to be right with God. We're, We're looking at a list because we're right with God. Now, let's let these things become a reality in our lives. First one, sexual sin. Look at verse seven. He says, in these, you too once walked when you were living in them. This is all past tense. You once walked in these before. So don't be too judgmental on those people because you were there and now you're not there. So make sure you're not there because you're not there anymore. Now you're here, move forward. But now verse eight, he changes his analogy. First, it was put them to death. Kill them. Now he uses a, an analogy of clothing, like taking off an old jacket. But now you must put them all away or take off anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. These are all relational. These are relational sins. Do you know that your spiritual life is very, very personal, but not private? Do you know that God wants you involved with other believers? For us introverts, that's a little scary, but that's what we're called to. We're called to live in community together. They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another, Jesus said, meaning we have to be together. We've talked about it here before, the the dance of the porcupine. You take two porcupines, winter comes, they get down in a hole, they're cold, so they get close. Well, guess what? They got these quills, poke, got to scoot away. Now I'm getting cold, scoot back. And there's this dance of the porcupine. where We keep poking each other. It's the same in in life. It's the same in church. It's the same in a family. We're a unit. We are a family. As a church, we are a family. But guess what? We also still sin. We also mess up. We also hurt each other. That, that poke of the porcupine. So it takes work. It takes work to be in these relationships because they're so important. And here he, he nails those things that are tempting in the church that we need to be done with. Take these off. I, I think he changes the analogy because the sexual sins, I think we would all agree, Those are bad. We should have nothing to do with them, although we might still struggle with them. Some of these relational sins we cover up. We think it's not that big a deal when really it's a huge deal in the community of what God would do through us. Relational sin is just as damaging as the sexual sin. He says, put aside what? Anger and wrath. Anger and wrath. One of those, anger, is is probably referring to a heart position. Wrath is, is the outward expression of that anger. So anger is, is, is taking it out on someone else. Uh, a lot of people know the verse, be angry and do not sin. And they take that way out of context, meaning it's okay for me to be an angry person. The Bible says, be angry and do not sin. Well, let's look at Jesus. When was Jesus angry? When he walked into a temple and they were, they were blaspheming the, the father, basically. They were selling in the temple, using it for what it shouldn't be used for. And he goes in, He sits down patiently and makes a whip. (laughs) Read the verse. He makes a whip. Then he goes in there and just cracks and runs people out. And he takes tables and throws it over. That was a righteous anger. That wasn't an anger for himself. That wasn't selfish. It was about God's glory. Isn't most of our anger selfish? Isn't it that your pride was wounded? Somebody said this about you and you're angry. It's selfish. Instead, I mean, be angry at at sin, be angry at at maybe somebody talking bad about God, be angry and do not sin. There are way more verses that say don't be angry, way more verses. James said this, remember half-brother Jesus? We to him earlier. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Within the church, within your family, anger is not acceptable. Let's just say it. Anger is not acceptable. And if you're one of those people that struggles with being stressed and getting angry, God can fix that in you. That's not the way you have to be. You're not stuck there. A godly person is not given to anger. And then he goes on, malice, malice. That's a badness <laughs> or a vicious disposition, willing to injure others just against other people. Slander. Slander is talking about somebody with the intent of lowering the person you're talking to's view of that person. You may be saying something true. A lot of people will say, well, what I was saying was true. It doesn't matter. We can be talking, you know, me and Callie can talk about Amy, and I can tell Callie the things I know about Amy to try and lower Callie's view of Amy and maybe lift myself up. Well, that's slander. Even if it's true, that's slander. I like the the way to handle things like this is the only people you tell, you know something about somebody else, the only people you tell is that person, or somebody that can help, you know, the parent of the child, your pastor, hey, this is going, on. that's the right person to talk to, somebody that can help. Not everybody else. Slander and gossip destroys churches. You've, you've heard the stories. You've probably seen it. That's one of the biggest things We're in this church, we say, when we hear about it, that's what we're going to knock on your door about. When we hear slander or gossip, we're going to knock on your door and go, this is a big deal. We're going to cut this out. But he says, take that off. Slander. Um, obscene talk foul mouth abuse. You know, that could be cursing. That could be just, it, but it's relational. It's against them. Just being aggressive verbally on people. We're not supposed to be that way. Then he, he goes on. He says, do not lie. Really what he says is stop lying to one another. Stop doing something you've been doing. Cut out the lying. Your relationships are really, really, really important. That's the literal translation. A Christian walking rightly will build up rather than tear down others. Consistently speaking, the truth. Why? Well, look at 9B. We'll start at 9A, beginning. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Why do we live this way with one another? Because that's not who we are anymore. We're not that way. We want to build up. I want what's best for you because of Jesus in and through me. I want to build you up. If I see sin in your life, I don't want others to know, but I want to come alongside you and help build you up so you can be successful and hopefully you with me and you with the person next to you and you with your husband, you with your wife and you with your kids, you with your neighbor, all that stuff. Building one another up. Uh, And here he talks about, look at verse 10. He says, because you're new and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is a concept we need to get, okay? So, we can, we can get this list of do's and don'ts and go, ah, I'm falling short. Here, he uses the word renewed. This is a process. We're made new like this. There, there's three theological terms the Bible talks about one, uh, uh, justification. You're right with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. Done deal. You have your ticket to heaven because of what Jesus did. Glorification is the other one. And we saw this last week. When Jesus comes back, we will get new bodies, we will be glorified with him forever awesome. Between those two, there's another word. It's called sanctification. It's a process. And look at that verse 10 by which we are made more and more into the image of our creator. Who did we see in chapter one and two was our creator? Jesus. This process by which we become more and more like Jesus. Justification, God's work completely. Uh, Glorification, God's work completely. Sanctification, mostly God's work, but we cooperate with this one. We can choose not to. So I need a I need somebody. Andrew, you stand up real quick. All right. You're a football player. Yeah? Oh, boy. Lineman. Yeah, but you throw the ball some, right? All right, throw me the ball. Not not bad, not bad. Now, (laughs) I want you to throw it to me (laughs) left-handed. Try it again. Do better. Left-handed. (laughs) thank you sanctification the process is like learning to throw left-handed we grow up throwing right-handed before we know christ sin is part of who we are it's what we do then we give our life to jesus we're made new we're given the holy spirit but now we got to walk that way we got to make make our life look like the truth of what we believe and it takes practice You know, if Andrew and I just stood here and threw left-handed all day, we'd get better at it. We'd get better. The Christian life is the same way. As we give ourselves to the process and we join in, we partner with what God wants to do in us. And we get better and better at what might first be our our inclination to lust. Boom. We get better at not. You know, walking down the street, you see the billboard. I didn't, I wasn't even tempted to look this time. You know, somebody talks bad about me. I want to go talk bad about them to somebody else. Maybe that's your first response As you give yourself in intimacy to Jesus, you get better. Your first response might be, oh, man, what's wrong with them? You know, maybe there's something going on in their life. Well, why am I thinking that? I need to call them. What? Uh, you, You know, but you change to be like Jesus. It's a process that we have to give ourselves to. We have to be active in. We become more and more like Jesus as we put off the old self and put on the new self. Put off the old self, put on the new self, put off the old things, sexual sins, relational sins, put on the new things. Romans 8, 13 says, for if you live according to the flesh, that means your sin, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That sounds a little bit similar to something we already read, didn't we? What did he say that we should do about our sin? We should put it to death. So, I have some sin here. Maybe the kids would agree with me. This is sin, <laughs> right? This is ca- cauliflower. You know, this is, this is sin growing in your life. And look, look how green and lush it is and, uh, on the outside. Um, if you've ever tried to grow cauliflower, don't waste your time. Um, but, you know, nice and healthy. Th- this can be sin in the life of a believer growing flourishing. And so he says, take the sin in your life and do something about it. You don't have this passive Christianity of sitting at home going, God will fix me when he gets around to it. No, we actively pursue. Last week, seek Jesus, think Jesus. You're here this morning. Good job. This is part of seeking Jesus. Exposing yourself to the word and other believers You know, joining a group uh, Kids, going to a youth group Those things are part of seeking Jesus But then, that's part of it But then there's still sin in your life There's still things And you take that And you do something about it You take sin in your life And the Bible is talking violently Do something about your sin Destroy it Kill it Somebody's going to have to clean that up later. <laughs> but we do something about sin. Oh, ha, Josh, yeah. you- I'm going to make another minute. If it doesn't die the first time, kill it again. Put sin to death in your life. Here's the big, as I read through this over and over, and I prayed over this passage, what do we need to get? Here's what we need to get. Your identity, you're good with God. You're good. Sin will destroy you. Sin will prevent you from flourishing. Sin will destroy your kids your grandkids, but you don't have to live that way. So the big takeaway for me as I'm looking at this is do something about it. Do something about your sin. Get help. You know, I've had friends, I've talked to people who who had pornography addictions. They got help. Some of them, it took a really long time, but guess what? They humbled themselves to go, I have a problem and I need help. People with alcohol or other things, I have a problem and I need help. It is not weakness to ask for help. It is strength to ask for help. It is is pride to go, I don't want people to know about that. That's pride, which is gonna leave you in your sin and prevent God from doing what he wants to do in you. Can we make a salad out of this later? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But we put sin to death. No more passive Christianity. Now he ends with one other thing I think is helpful. Look at verse 11. He says here... By here, he means within the kingdom of God, here, within the church, here, among the community of believers. Here, there is no distinction. There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. They had value distinctions between people. Rich were here. Slaves were here. Men were here. Women were here. Men and women were here, here. Kids were here. They had all these values. You know, Jews here here. Samaritans here, everybody else here. They just, they had these levels. They said, in the church, done with that. Anywhere the gospel has gone, women are elevated. You know, our our world has a bad history of, of women being put down and men being lifted up. Wherever the gospel goes, that changes. Maybe not as much as it should, but it changes. Kids, kids were not all that important. And Jesus takes a time out from teaching and he says, let the little children come to me. We don't know how big of a deal that was in that culture. Let the little children come. Adults, you just time out. I know I'm serving you time out. Kids, come here. Let's talk to you. He just took kids and he he made them more important. He lifted them up. Within the church, there is no racism. Racism in the church makes no sense. A Christian racist, what's that? A Christian sexist, what's that? Equal. And so within the church, again, this is still relational. Relational we see each other on an equal footing. We, we, we are all valued before God, and we bring that value to one another. We're going we're to transition now to communion. Communion is a time where those who have, by faith, placed you know, their life in Jesus' hands. They believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. We, we, uh, we take a piece of bread, remembering Jesus' body. We drink a little grape juice, remembering his blood. Because what we're talking about, this life that's possible is only possible because of Jesus on the cross. And so we're going to have this time together where, where we take it, uh, the way we do it here, as we come down these aisles, um, take it and then go find your spot, sit in your seat and pray. But, and I would ask this, here's what we're going to do today. In addition, in addition to taking communion, which is what we do to remember Jesus until he comes, it's an act of worship. We like to do other ways to respond. If the Holy Spirit's been working you, on you this morning, if you looked at those lists and there's something in there you're like, I haven't killed that one yet. You know, or, or uh, it's an article of clothing. Maybe it's just a sock, but you're still wearing it and you got to get rid of it. This is going to be a, an opportunity for you to acknowledge that and make a commitment to do something about it. So in, in the seat pocket in front of you, or if you're in the front seat underneath you, you will find a piece of cl- a cloth. It's a t-shirt that's been cut up. I want you to take that. As we begin, music is going to begin. Spend a minute going, God, show me my heart. David prayed this. this. You know, God, search me, O Lord. Try my heart. See if there be any hurtful way in me and then lead me in the everlasting. God, ask God to look into your heart. Many of you, you know what it is. You don't really need to even pray that prayer. You know what it is. Here's your chance. Write it on here. You can write it cryptically. Nobody cares. Write it on here. And as you come up, uh, the way you can write it, by the way, is we're going to have a stool here so that we don't get too clogged up A stool here that there so as you walk up grab a pen and just just jot down whatever it is jot it down and then come up here and pin it to the cross now this cross is made of paper you know so it's okay just put your hand stick it through don't stick it all the way through go poke your finger <laughs> you know but but pin it to the cross whatever that is you're symbolically going god i died with you on the cross you took it i'm i'm now letting this sin die with you But here's the second thing, because repentance means a turn. You do something. Confession of sin is good. This is confession is what we're doing here. Repentance is turning. So there's one more step for you. I want you to do this. Thank you. Take this uh, as you came in. Hopefully you got one of these. On the back, I would like more information or need prayer. What are you going to do about it? Just acknowledging it is step one. Doing something about it is step two. And so before you come up and take communion, sit there and think, okay, what is it? And then what am I going to do about it? And if we can help you or pray for you, write it on here and give it to us. Because we will call you. We, I'll get together with you. We will help you. Write it on here. Maybe this is just a commitment for yourself. Still, write it on there and then put it in your pocket. But make a commitment to do something about it. Not just acknowledge it. Do something about it. If we can help you with it or we can pray, write it on here and then you can put it in the box on the way out or up here. We're making it really easy on you. There's these little boxes. Put it in here also. But this is our chance to respond in worship, respond to what God is doing in us. So uh, let me pray and we'll take the Lord's Supper. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for the mercy that you've shown us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love, which is freely given. Thank you, God, that we don't have to walk out of here feeling guilty because of maybe some of this sin still exists in our lives. Thank you that we can walk out of here confident that you took it on the cross. And I I pray that we would not be a a bunch of people that just want to behave and and do our best to behave, but that we would love you. And because of our love for you, because you first loved us, we would respond in a way we want to be changed. We want to be like you. Give ourselves to the process. God, I know many in here, maybe we've been believers a long time and there's still something in our life we haven't dealt with. Maybe there's a relational thing going on right now in our family, in our church family. Maybe it's even with a believer or a non-believer outside and we we need to go deal with that. Maybe that's the commitment we need to make that we're gonna do something about that this week. Holy Spirit, show us what it is in each of us. Fill us with your hope at the same time. We don't want to walk away with condemnation. Instead, walk away with hope, knowing that you have covered our sins. God, if there's anybody in this room that they listen to this and they they go, that's great, but I haven't been converted yet, that this would be a time for them to do that. God, that, that you would stir our hearts. It's all for your glory. Be honored. Be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.